0: Welcome to another episode of the Jay Martin Show. My name is Jay Martin. I'm an investor and the CEO of Cambridge House. And today, my guest is Gerald Salente, the founder of the Trends Research Institute, a crowd favorite. I've had Gerald on my YouTube channel before, but this is the first time I've had him on the podcast. And he delivers a scathing criticism of big banks, of big tech, of politicians in general of pharma and of the military industrial complex, Gerald gets incredibly fired up and you're gonna hear it in his voice today. Now, the reason that I wanted Gerald on the show was because a frequent conversation that occurs on my channel, on my YouTube channel and here on my podcast between myself and my guests is who is going to own, from a geopolitical standpoint, who is going to own the 21st century? I think we can all agree the 20th century was dominated by United States power. The question is, will they dominate the 21st century or will power shift to the East and namely China? Now, the majority of my guests say no. The U.S. empire is just getting started. But Gerald says yes. And I love hearing both sides of any debate. And it's hypercritical to listen to both sides of any debate, especially if you find yourselves already grounded on uh, on one end or on one side. Very important to listen to the criticisms of your ideas. So... This was a fascinating discussion with Gerald today. We also got into mindsets. I mean, he's an entrepreneur and an investor that's been crushing it for decades. So we talked about how he stays emotionally fit when things get tough. We covered his physical, emotional, spiritual, and financial preparation for crisis, and it was fascinating. We also got into the future of media and censorship and what he sees as the solution. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. This is The Jay Martin Show, and here is Gerald Salente. Enjoy. Okay, guys, Jay Martin here, CEO of Cambridge House, and I'm joined right now by Gerald Salente, the founder of the Trends Research Institute and the publisher of the Trends Journal Magazine. Gerald, welcome back. It's good to see you again. Well, thanks for having me on, Jay. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I, I love it when you can make the time. Uh, you're definitely a crowd favorite on my platform, so, so I appreciate it. And so for any listeners, Gerald, who aren't familiar with the Trends Journal and, and what it is you do. Could we start with just a quick highlight reel of how you spend your time and, and what it is that you do? Well, I began the Trends Research Institute in 1980.
1: We began writing the Trends Journal magazine in 1991. And we're political atheists. We look at the world for the way it is, not the way we want it to be. And the motto of the magazine is think for yourself. So each week, I mean, this it's a weekly magazine. This week was about 158 pages. No advertisements, subscription base. You read what you want from it. It's all, you know, table of contents. But we tell what's going on. And then we say what it means. And this is where we see the trend going, the forecast. And this is how you can either take advantage of it or or not, but do what you wish to do. So we tell the story as it is without putting it into an inflection. And the very important thing is the system is called Global Nomic. And that means making connections between different fields. So economists look primarily at economic data, and they're not making connections between different fields. So that's what we do, and that's what differentiates us from everyone else. So it's really history before it happens. We say, again, what's going on, what it means, what's next, and how to plan, prepare, and prevail. And just shortly, at a graduate school, I was running major Political campaigns in Westchester County, which is the richest county in America. I was the assistant to the secretary of the New York State Senate at 26 years old. I designed and instructed American politics and campaign technology and taught it at St. John's University. I was the chief government affairs specialist to the chemical industry, killing environmental legislation at the height of the environmental movement. Uh, back in the 1970s, and I was also the number two guy running a major trade association at 30 years old. So I'd been on the other side. I'd been with presidents, prime ministers, and princes. I wouldn't know what I know if I wasn't on the other side. Then I started to grow up a little bit in my mid-30s and then started changing. And the reason I became a trend forecaster and started to see the future was when the Iranian conflict broke out in the late 1970s. Okay. And I had been reading about how the United States, the CIA and the MI6 and uh, the UK overthrew the democratically elected government of Mosaddegh in 1953, and they brought in the Shah because the Mosaddegh had the nerve to nationalize what was then called Anglo-Iranian oil and standard oil of America, and he nationalized it. Couldn't do that, so we had to get rid of him. So when the protests began in, in Iran, I knew they were real. And what they were saying was, get out of here, America. We had enough of you. No, no, we're not leaving. We're staying. Don't you know who we are? We can do anything that we want. No, no, get out of here. And I saw millions of people taking to the streets. And while all the Americans were taught to hate the Iranians, and Jimmy Carter came back from spending New Year's Eve with the Shah and his wife and said, the Shah is the island of stability in the Middle East. And in the Bronx, we used to have a term, bullshit has its own sound. Is this guy's going down? So I started doing, was playing the futures markets in oil and gold. So as everybody became politically and stupidly engaged in the rhetoric going on, I said, what are going to be the implications?" Right. And I parlayed a $5,000 bet into almost three quarters of a million dollars. Love I that. quit my job. I ended up losing most of it at <laughs> it as I'm gambling away as a young guy, you know, but I learned, yeah. I learned from it. And that's, that's basically how I began the Trends Research Institute. It's not what I want, it's what is. And mm. to, again,
0: to look at things for the way they are, not the way you want them to be. I love that. I love that. Now, I want to ask, just based on a few things that you shared, can, can I ask, Gerald, what were the key changes to your thinking that you went through in your 30s? I mean, that, that's such a resume. To have accomplished in your twenties, what what changed in your thinking process through your thirties?
1: Well, that was it. It was the it was the Iran War more than anything. Okay. And then, and you know, I have a photograph of me and Ronald Reagan, me picking him up at the Chicago Hilton in nineteen seventy six, two days before he's running against Gerald Ford, and he keynote speak. I put on a brunch with him and sixteen of our board directors. You know, and I got to. I, from being with these people, you know, it's, 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 you you see who they are and how shallow they are and their only interests are in themselves. So from a young guy, again, you know, I voted for Richard Nixon in 1968, Yeah, and the last two people I voted for was Ralph Nader and Ron Paul in 2012. I vote for Ron Paul. Matter of fact, I'm going to be one of the keynote speakers at his, uh, the War Against Us Conference, actually, in Washington, D.C. on September 4th. So it changed my life was being on the other side. And then you grow up, you know, you start learning things. And if, if again, if I wasn't on the other side, I wouldn't know what I know. And you start learning. And I study. I study every day. I read six hours a day of underlining the salient points of the story, sending them out to our writers. Then I put the trend forecast, what it means to trend posts. So it's it's constant work. And it's, again, looking at things to the way they are, not the way you want them to be.
0: Yeah. And then capitalizing on what you believe may happen as a consequence. Exactly. Your, your $5,000 vet, which I love. I love stories like that. Now, I mean, a question for you. How hard is it, though, Gerald? I love the term political atheism. You know how you started introducing the Trans Journal. How difficult is it to restrain from any bias? And do you have any habits or exercises that you or your writers engage in to protect that?
1: Again, look at, we look at the people. Look who they are. How can anybody with a brain bigger than a pea look up to a, a little true dope you got up there, a little daddy's boy born on third base and thought he had a home run? A little nothing of a clown. How can anybody with a pair of bigger than a mothball look at this guy? Look at the little jerk I got over here in, in New York, little Andy Cuomo, another daddy's boy. I'm going to rename the Tappan Zee Bridge after my daddy. It's going to cost you about $20 million. Oh, then you got to redo it because I said it should be get Mario M. Cuomo and you forgot the M. Oh, boy. Yeah. And then you look at the Mitch McConnell. How can anybody look at this crappy shit and take orders from these people? Macron, a little boy with yeah, a little got a little nothing. How could people look up to them? Merkel, Draghi, oh yeah, the Draghi, the bankster gangster. As an Italian, I'm ashamed of the Italians. They had Cinque Stelle, the Five Star Movement, and Lega, the North, the League. Oh, we're going to pull out of the Euro. We're going to pull out of the Eurozone, and they vote to bring him in, prime minister, the former head of the European Central Bank, the former head of the Goldman Sachs gang, that that he was the head of the European division the former guy that worked for the World Bank, the former guy that worked for the Italian uh, Federal Bank, and you're bringing him in there? So how can people look up to these clowns? So it's as simple as that. If you're stupid enough to call yourself a Democrat, a Republican, a possessive, a conservative, grow the hell up. What is your life, bigger than one thing? You don't belong to anything. It's as simple as that. How can anybody take orders from these little clowns as I, you know, as a kid, you know, that grew up in the Bronx, you know, I was a little, I was the smallest kid. All, all throughout school, I was always the first online. The bullies went after me right away. I learned how to fight right away. I was the toughest kid. I'm a fighter. You call these guys out, these little politicians, that again, as we'd say in the Bronx, they wouldn't know whether to piss a shit. They fold like that. They fold like that. And that's what the people have to do. These little clowns forgot two words, public servant. Got it. Mm. Got it. You work for me. Don't you talk to me like this. I'll tell you what profanity is. Profanity is calling these little jerks dignitaries. That's a dirty word. A dignitary? Oh, you're better than me? I'm just a piece of crap. So that's what's going on. So that's when I say a political atheist, and how, how the hell could you be so damn stupid? What have they, tell me one thing that they've done so successful. Just tell me, hey, how about that Afghan war? Wasn't that a great one? Oh, Salenti, <laughs> you see, you should be calmer and talk in the language of, of a, a George W. Bush, another daddy's boy born on third base. Right. Do a home run. Or, or be proper like the Nobel Peace of crap prize winner that everybody loved Barack Obama. We need to get rid of that man, Assad. We don't like who he is, and we don't like what he's doing to the people. And the same thing with that other guy, uh, Gaddafi, Libya, the richest country in Africa, where the people had more rights and more social benefits than most countries. But you say it in a proper way, and then murder them. Bombs away, but do it properly.
0: Yeah, I look, I mean... So much of what you're saying, you know, what it reminds me of right now, Gerald, is I saw an interview you did with uh, Porter Stansbury recently with uh, my good friends in Yala Campone, and just because of what what you're saying right now frames the way you look at the world, right? And it's you put in a lot of work to look at things from an outsider's view, right? To think independently and have that sovereign mindset, and it's hypercritical. And I love how riled up you get about this because I think it's important that people wake up to a lot of the narrative that we're sold by mainstream media, and that's why. Publications like the Trans Journal are so important. You made a comment anyways on this interview that people need to think beyond just financial preparation. And you said they need to be physically, emotionally and spiritually prepared and in the best shape. I think your words were in the best shape they can be physically, emotionally, spiritually, and of course, financially. And that holistic approach is I love that. I mean, that's what I try to take to the market or to my family life or my career, whatever. But what struck you to 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 bring that line forward? What does that mean to you?
1: Well, it's it's my you know the first book I worked on was called natural healing back in nineteen eighties. I have an honorary doctorate from the National University of Health Science, and I also I I had my own school. I used to teach close combat for many years, and uh, so it's 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 whole health in in all the ways, and again learning all the time. So the mentally, physically, and spiritually. You know, keep trying to rise, raise above different. Look, I'm not the same guy I used to be when I was a young guy. You know, the shit I pulled in my life, holy Christ! I mean, really? I mean, not for nothing. I tell you, I used to work for the chemical industry. I was killing environmental legislation. Right. You know, but but in all the other shit that I did too. I mean, you know. But you grow up, mm. and that's why once upon a time I used to used to look up to the elders because they've been around long enough to see what's going on. And so it's a, it's a continuing learning process. I and mean, do you think I want to spend my days reading all this ugly crap? You you mentioned before we went on the air, as you said, are you in your house? This is my office. I have over 100 plants in this office. In my garden outside, and I, have, I own three of the most historic buildings in America, on the most historic four corners. I grow tomatoes, peppers, <laughs> arugula, you know. So I surround myself with beauty as an antidote to all the ugliness that I do. So I try to create as much beauty around me as I possibly can. I would rather water the plants and take care of them than do, you know, read all this ugly crap. Sure. Yeah. And I cook for myself. I love to cook and, you know, it gets my mind off it. So I cook again. Everything is organic as much as I can. I even buy organic Bloody Mary mix (laughs) (laughs) and and organic celery. But anyway, it's a it's a blend of everything. And it's not this is the way you must do it. That's the way you must do it. You know, no, it's a blend, a blend. But again, with the covid war, when do you hear one mention, one mention from anybody in the mainstream media or the government? Saying get in the best physical shape you can get into. I know build up your immune system. So frustrating. Start taking all these vitamins. Start doing this. Start doing no, 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 no. Only the vax. Only the vax. Only the vax will save you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's been the most frustrating part of this entire experience to me. Is like, where where is the advice to get outside, get sunshine, get active, you know, take care of your health. It's something like 70% plus of the cases in the ICU are vitamin D deficient and have, or, or obese, you know, it's, it's remarkable that we're not talking about that and not to say it's not a serious threat, but there's a number of ways to approach it. And I think the, the the foundational way. It's
1: not a serious, It's a serious threat to people with preexisting comorbidities.
0: Sure. Exactly. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm not making that up. I agree with you. You know, it was, it was 94% of people have 2.6 preexisting comorbidities. Yeah. And so when you take out that other negative, you're talking no numbers at all. Right. And again, as we said to this in the beginning, how come they're not, how come they're not clamping down on all the chemicals that they're pumping into our food, into our water, into the air? Yeah. Oh, you, you like those preservatives, don't huh? you? Know, I know you're, you're the kind of guy that likes artificial flavors and artificial colors. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need any real. How about those GMOs? They're terrific for you. Right. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. You just keep going on. Look what they're doing to us! Oh, only six point seven million people die a year from air pollution. Oh, hey, how about what's going on there in Fukushima? Oh, they're dumping in that radioactive water back into the. That's yeah, fine. It goes away. It just disintegrates. Oh yeah, one thing after another. They're killing us in all the different ways that they are, and not a word about that. Again, the first book I worked on was natural healing, you know, because of what they're doing to us. And you know, so I go on fasts. I do different things to cleanse my body, but you know. Again, you mentioned the obesity in America. 40% of Americans are obese. 40%. Right. 70% are overweight. 70, excuse me, 72%. You know that they used to have a saying, pigs can't fly. You've been to the airport lately? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. and then we put in the Trends Journal, like this week and last week and week before, cola sales, Pepsi cola sales, McDonald's sales, all going up. Great. Great, wonderful, and then we say what it means. Yeah, the sales are going up. People are doing so little of crap, they're eating and drinking. Yeah, it's horrifying. I can't understand why you're getting sick. I can't figure it out.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, as a as a dad, I have three young boys, young under the age of five, and a lot of my friends and family think my wife and I are complete, completely neurotic for the discipline we bring to our nutrition right yeah and and i think it's like it's not neurotic or complex at all we're very simple we eat plants and animals that's it if it doesn't look like what it was question it right it should be identifiable uh but to do that these days is to make yourself a complete outlier right it's amazing the friction we get at community events parties family gatherings any of it we're like oh your diet's really complicated like no, no no it's as simple as it gets Plants yeah. and animals. That's yeah. it. But uh but I, I it's front and center for it's great. me. It's great. it's great where you
1: train because the only reason we are who we are is where we came from. Right. And how blessed I I blessed my parents and ancestors, how blessed I am. Right. And and you know, they my father taught me how to be a man as a little kid. And you know, you get in a fight with your father, you know, he used to say to me, You little bastard. He said, You think I'm telling you what I'm telling you because I want you to be like me? I want you to become yourself. How many parents say that to their kids? My mother, before I knew what the word meant, a situation would happen. And she'd say to me, I I hate cowards. Okay. And I learned what a coward was when I worked in the the New York State Senate. Watching grown men grovel to suck their way up to the top. I quit after a year. Nobody could believe I quit. And, And my father, when I shoot my mouth off, he'd say to me in Italian, Papagallo, parrot. Stop repeating what everybody else is saying and think for yourself in a disgusting way. Talk to me. And right. I realized before I open my mouth, I better have the facts. Mm. I better have the facts. I better, And that's what we do. We put out the facts. These are the facts and this is what we see happening from these facts. Okay. Whatever you think after that, fine. Right. You know, but this is the way we see it. So hey, again, you know.
0: we're blessed and it's great that you're doing that to your children. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's fun. We we find it to be very important. Now, I I want to uh, I have one more question that's sort of more philosophical for you, and then I, I do want to jump into some macro stuff and and get into um, some more tactical conversation points. But prior to that, just you know, pulling on some threads that you shared, I'm going to ask you for some advice, Gerald. You know, if someone is looking to move past their past, you talked about working in a position where you were killing environmental legislation transitioning to authoring a book called natural healing, you know, how have you found success, acknowledging things you did in your past career that you're not so proud of, but not letting that pull you down, just dismissing it moving forward, I'm a different person. Now, I've learned from things I did that I'm not proud of. And I'm going to do this now. And I'm not going to let that keep me up at night, or define who I am, or or whatever, direct my future, any advice or counsel, you know, it
1: takes a lot of work, you know, again, you know, I, I've done a lot of, you know, you know, meditation, you know, do, do all of that kind of thing, you know, and uh, breathing. And so it's a process. And again, when I, I mean, again, when I start thinking about it, the things that I did, that I shouldn't have done. It's okay. I did it. Let me move on. And now I try to improve it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we're, we're everybody. I mean, who's lived a perfect life. Oh, I know who. The governor, the senator, the president, the prime minister—they're perfect. But yeah. other than that little group, so I mean, everybody pulls shit in their lives. So you again, but it's it, it's doing all of these other things again. As I said, meditation and 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 and, and yeah, you know, I've been practicing the martial arts since the, you know, since like nineteen eighty-two. You know, yeah. so I've been at it a lot of years, and it's discipline. Right. So when you keep you, every morning. Every, virtually every morning, I wake up and I say, you know, I have a routine I go through, an exercise routine and a workout routine. I said, I did it yesterday. I'm not going to do it today. And then about 20 minutes later, I could do the routine. So every day I try to talk myself out of it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then I say, okay, you know, and then I do it. So it's really that discipline. It Mm -hmm. takes discipline. And that's what it really takes. And I, by the way, I I didn't have had discipline as a kid. Now I okay. ran away from kindergarten, you know, across the Boston Post Road in the Bronx at four and a half years old. And yeah. I was a great clarinet player. I didn't have the discipline to keep it going. Sure. So you grow and you you keep learning. That, that, that's the entire key, is to keep learning. Mm. Keep learning and keep expanding. Like when I do research, you know, every day, I go to China's news. I go to Japan. I go to Fars news agency to hear the Iranian side. I go to... Uh, Al Jazeera. I'll go to Haaretz, the Israeli. I want to get. I want to. I just want to get what's going on. Sure. And then I'll decide what 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 makes sense to me.
0: Yeah.
1: But it's learning continually. You can't stop learning. Mm. And and that, by the way, that keeps you also as the research goes from
0: dementia as you get older. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, I love that. I love that. You know, what? I'm also a martial artist. And I love a lot of the practices and traditions and discipline I pull from that. And I, I apply it even to my portfolio. And I, I don't Absolutely. think that's crazy. I think it's directly related. Right. And um, there's something to be said about confidence. And that's what I take from martial arts. I've never been, you know, an aggressive person by any stretch, but I just like to know that I'm good. And that affects my mental health and the way I approach people and handle myself. That's right, and uh, what a valuable, what a valuable skill. Okay, no, well, we'll just stay on that for a moment because yeah. you're not
1: afraid. You're not afraid, hundred percent. Yeah. So when you're not afraid, you think for yourself, and that's the difference. And what I, the what I again, I went from 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 Tai Chi to Okinawan Taek to close combat. And we have Bradley Steiner, who just passed away, he was a top close combat guy in in the, in the United States. Mm. And close combat is very different than all the other arts because there is no form. You don't teach a tiger, a lion, a bird, a cockroach, a rat, a mouse. You don't teach them how to fight. It's natural. Sure. They took, that, they took the fight out of us. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, they took it out of us. Oh, oh we're going to have a no bullying zone. Okay. When you go to school, you have a no bullying, scroll the hell up. And that takes the fight out of the people. And that's what's going on now. The people lost their
0: fight. The majority have lost their fight because they've taken the fight out of the people. And what's the implications of that when you have a scenario like COVID over the last fifteen months? A lot of businesses had their lights shut out. A lot of people had their incomes shut off, and you're you're left hanging. And it can either be—I mean, it was very destructive for so many people. And you know, I was so fortunate that I I happened to be surrounded by a lot of. A lot of fighters to your point. And, uh, you know, one of my mentors called me and said, Jay, when the rest of the world's on their knees, this is when you need to kick the door down and storm the room. You got it, man. And I, I have that recorded. So yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's very valuable and hard to do though, right? Because there's fear involved in all of this, but hmm, interesting. What's up, everybody? Sorry for the interruption. Quick note, If you enjoy these conversations, I publish a weekly newsletter and it's free where I share my top takeaways, lessons learned, and any action steps I might be taking as a consequence in the market. Sign up at cambridgehouse.com. I publish every week and it's free. Now back to the conversation. Okay. I want to pivot now to some macro topics, some themes you know one conversation Gerald, that I often hear on my show is who who does the twenty first century belong to is it the u s or is it china right and i I think I could call you a china bull is that correct oh yeah We're, there's one of our top trends china's twenty yeah. first century
1: okay yeah, the business of America's been war the business of of china's business uh, again look at the, the, the how many how much how much did it cost to fight the uh Iraq and Afghan wars. I mean, the numbers are like $6 trillion. Waste of money. And again, you don't have to believe me. There was a guy by the name of Dwight D. Eisenhower, five-star general, supreme commander of the Allied forces in World War II, two-term president of the United States, his farewell address January 17th, 1961, warning the American people that the military-industrial complex is robbing the nation of the genius of the scientists, the sweat of the laborers and the future of the children. Mm. Right in front of your eye. And what happens? Kennedy becomes president. Jack, you're dead. You didn't want to go into the Vietnam War. Vietnam War goes on. Wars just kept going on, going on, going on. And what's China doing? No war. Elton Road Initiative, moving into countries all over the world. Yeah, look at look at look at look at the infrastructure of America, the third world infrastructure of America. Take a subway in New York; it's a night in Calcutta. <laughs> How fast are those those trains going in the in China? What about three hundred miles an hour? The average in the United States is the highest is sixty miles an hour. Look at the roads everywhere you go in New York. Boom, 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 China put their money into building the country. And now they have their their dual circulation policy where they're becoming more and more of a self-sustaining society and relying less on exports. So they got 1.4 billion people. If 1.4 billion people start doing a lot of business with each other, Right. You don't need to. And that's what they're doing. You're going to start seeing the big names like the Nikes and the others. They're going to start going away. And you're going to start seeing the Chinese brands coming in. It's total control of the government. The government's in total control. And the Chinese way, you will obey. And the people, they're into their, into their own culture and what they're doing. So the Americans have given it away. They lost it. And also what they've done is they've killed the ingenuity of America by doing away with the antitrust laws. The robinson patman Act, Sherman Antitrust Act, Clayton Antitrust Act, sure. and, of course, the Glass-Steagall Act. You know, before Jimmy Carter, you know, the, the, the peanut farmer, he was the one who started doing away with their usury laws. Bank of America, it was, it was the only bank it was in California. It was inter, intrastate banking, not interstate. So what they did they let there was there were things when I was a young guy called stationary stores and hardware stores before staples and and Home Depot and Lowe's they did away with the laws that allowed that to happen. so America's lost its ingenuity and what the Europeans did and the Americans did when they brought them into the World Trade Organization, you look at China's GDP. It's a flat line until around 2001. Straight line up. They gave them all the high-tech and heavy industry. They didn't know how to do it. They were making crap over there. The European and American manufacturers gave them, oh, and by the way, you want to open up over here? You only can become a 49% owner of it. Mm. You look at Volkswagen sales now in China, going down, going down. You know why? Because the Chinese sales are going up. Oh, you gave us all that we needed to know on how to do this stuff. Now we got it all. We don't need you. So between heavy industry and high tech, the Europeans and the North Americans sold out their people so they could get the stuff made cheaply over there, bring it back and raise the prices and make more money, more profits. Profit margin goes up. Okay. when the level of workmanship is very
0: cheap to buy now i so a couple of things there i i want your help to understand the belt and road initiative better and the implications of that and cuz it leads me to believe gerald and you tell me if i'm on base or off base here that it becomes more than a us versus china conversation the belt and road initiative and the relationships through africa south asia and the middle east create more of an east versus west conversation but we'll get to that the comments firing up the counterpoints saying okay everything you said i agree with but there's a serious demographic crisis in china it's getting china's getting old before it's getting rich in addition the younger demographic is heavily disproportionately Male and not repopulating as quickly as it needs to. So how do you address points like that, Gerald?
1: That point is a point that's valid, but you still got 1.4 billion people. So if it goes down to, let's say it goes down to, you know, 1 billion. Now, what are we talking about against America? What do you have? 332 million? Sure. What do you have in Europe? Uh, 400 million? Put the numbers together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, long-term, but you don't know what will change after that either. You right. know, that could that's a temporary, could be a temporary thing. But as the Belt of Road, Road Initiative, oh, who owns the biggest uh, port in Greece?
0: Oh, China. yeah, China
1: owns it, yeah. Right. And how about in uh, Trieste over there, with the Chinese just came into Italy over there? Yeah, right. and they're buying up all over the world, all over the world, farms all over America. So what they're doing is it's not only their country, they're going global. And they're buying the best that they can of, of what they think is going to be the future. So, yes, if the population declines, but look at the population in America. It's going down. Sure. And it is very important, too. America hasn't won a war since World War II. And they wouldn't have won it without the Russians. I know everybody hates the Russians, you know, but take it easy. What was that Operation Barbarossa launched by Hitler in 1941? Only wiped out 30 million Russians and Eastern Europeans. 30 million. They fought and fought and fought. They were going into Germany before the Americans were going in. Eisenhower cut a deal with them. I'm making this point because America hasn't won a war since then. Mm-hmm. You'd think they'd win a war against China. And I was a keynote, I was the, the keynote speaker at VMI, Virginia Military Institute, in 2000, after I came out with that book, Trends 2000, about new millennium warfare. There's a line, the generals are always fighting the last war. These ships, these planes, they're, they're like fighting with, with catapults and horses. You have hypersonic weaponry. You got thousands and thousands of drones. You have cyber warfare. You have biological warfare. Nobody's gonna go after China. China wants
0: Taiwan back. Guess what? Nobody's gonna stop. Okay, so a couple things, a couple directions I want to go from there. First of all, what's the likelihood of a hot war? Okay, let's let's go there. No. So y- you think negligible?
1: No. Again, no. if it it'll it'll be the war that. They asked Einstein, Albert Einstein, who knew a little thing about weapons, you know, this guy, he had a bomb cat. They asked him, what weapons will be used to fight the Third World War? He said, I don't know. He said, they'll be using sticks and stones to fight the fourth. Okay. That's daunting. It's real. If we go into war, it's the end of life on Earth for most of us. It's over. People forget now I'm born in 1946. I'm born right after the war. It's not ancient history, World War II. I bought these four, four, the buildings on the most historic four corners of America after I came back from Berlin on April 27th, 2012. Berlin was grander than Paris before it was bombed down. And I spent a lot of time in Paris. I used to date Marie-Pierre. And I'm saying to myself, why didn't the people stop this before it was all destroyed? Where were the people? How come they didn't? You're losing. How come you didn't stop it? And I came back and one of these buildings were for sale. I was looking to leave the country. And I realized, listen, can, I can't run away. There's no, there are two big freaks everywhere. This is my country. Love it or leave it? No, you leave it. Hmm. I wouldn't be me if I was born in Alta Me because I was born in America and born to be free. That's why I bought these. Wars destroy. It, this is an ancient history, that Europe was destroyed, and then before that, World War One, not too, not too long before that. And then again, that's why, by the way, and when you make connections between different fields and going in a whole different direction, that's how they shoved the euro down the euro Europeans' throats. They came out with the the generation older than me came out with the BS that if we all have a united coin, then we won't have a war again. Right, right. So it was that generation that lived during that time that saw the the hell on earth that they sold them that line. So if we have a war, a hot war, it's a totally different war. It's a totally different war. It's the end. It's the Einstein, what he said.
0: Sure. Uh, Okay, and in a hot war, war scenario, which is terrifying, I guess I agree with you. I find it more likely because that, you know, today our infrastructure is largely digital, if not moving that way, the services we rely on are digital, even our utilities are moving digital. And so, you know, isn't modern warfare, and we've seen this in the last five, six years in the US, you know, the the clandestine infiltrations, right? And, of our election systems and uh, and our our utilities, right? Recently, with the the pipeline hack in the U.S., where the ransom was just paid, you know, in a in a future scenario, in a future invasion scenario between two developed and powerful nations like China and the U.S., wouldn't this all happen behind the scenes? And wouldn't it be in the best interest of the aggressor to to do this all discreetly in a clandestine way behind the scenes? It wouldn't it be in the best interest of the victim? to ensure the population never knew this was occurring. Do you know what I mean? I I guess when I think about modern-day occupation of nations, I think it would all happen in the virtual landscape, unbeknown to the population, as much as possible. Does that make any sense?
1: That would only be one element of it. That's what I was saying. That's new millennium warfare. That's one element of it. Got it. And if that element starts bringing things down to the bottom, and you're losing big time, then you ramp it up into the hot war, and other things start happening.
0: I see, okay, okay, okay. now so so we address the demographic issue. you know i I understand the disproportionate of populations. I feel like a large population is only an asset if it's productive. and if we have an aging population, could that become more of a liability than an asset, even though it's disproportionately larger in China well,
1: it's definitely it's definitely a liability, you know if it's China, but again it it it's it's not going to affect it for a while. And again, look at the number of people that they have. I mean, who at one point four billion? Here, put the number in perspective. Let's let's go back a hundred years ago. Hundred years ago. How many people were on the planet?
0: I don't even know. Four billion? I don't know. Half of that. <laughs> Half of that. Okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. Right. Now we've added almost six
1: billion people
0: in a hundred years. Yeah. They got plenty of people. Okay. And so then, you know, f- think that forward. Where, where is population growth going to come from in the future? It's going to come from the nations involved in the Belt and Road initiatives. Now, yes, and where? But again, the the, the the poorest nations are having the most children. South yeah. uh, Africa, which is the key continent. So, describe to anyone who's not familiar what what is the Belt and Road Initiative and why is it significant?
1: The Belt and Road Initiative is a matter of fact. The reality of it is there. It goes back to the Silk Road, the whole back then when the Silk Road connected all the vital points around the from Europe to Asia. And you did all the trade through there. Now China has a rail system from China to Europe direct. That's the Belt and Road Initiative. Building Belt and Road building, whether it's through rail, through shipping, whatever it might be. It's a connection, connecting, connecting from China to all over the world. And that's what they're doing. And they're going to continue to do it. And what they're doing is they're financing these other countries that can't afford it and yes. driving them deep into debt. That's a whole nother thing, yes. but that's part of the game, but now you owe me money. So you got to do more of what I'm telling you to do. Right. And that's happening in another number of
0: African countries. And similar and then, to the, the initiative with, with the Greek port, right? It's and similar. then the
1: other parts of the Belt and Road Initiative is we're looking at, again, 21st century development and all of those resources that have not been taken out of the land yet in Africa sure. that China's exploiting, like the Europeans did before that. I think the word they used to use was more proper word, colonization. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, look at France. Look what France has done. Oh, isn't it great, too? Hey, those Algerians, you must be happy with all those uh, atomic bomb tests they did in your country over there, huh? Yeah. I mean, it's been going on for centuries. Look at Belgium, what they did to, you know, Rhodesia, on and on and on and on and on. You know, it's, it's one. So now this is just another level of that, but they're trying to do it in a more, in a way where both sides will benefit.
0: Okay, and and Biden's answer to this is, if I'm correct, it's the International Development Corp. You familiar? It's like a it's it's like a smaller scale initiative to buy up assets, infrastructure. What are your thoughts on that? Nothing. he will go nowhere. Do nothing.
1: It's gone. They 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 again. Show me any. Show me anything. One thing that they've been successful at.
0: Right, and so for for context. And correct me if I'm off base here, Joe. What this is, it's a it's a relatively small fund. I think it's it's under a hundred billion dollars. So nothing. relative to the Chinese, uh, and they're it's purchasing nothing. decrepit porting infrastructure, uh, shipping infrastructure in order to regain control and compete with, uh, I guess what what China is doing right now, which is purchasing mm-hmm. infrastructure to gain influence over key points of the globe. Yeah, nothing. Hundred,
1: hundred billion dollars. How much? It's like sixty
0: billion, billion
1: I think. Yeah, I, I, sixty billion. I don't want Yeah, commenters let's, don't, So let's say, yeah, well, I just said, how much when right. you look at the defense budget of America, and you put in the the uh, intelligence sectors, CIA, Homeland Security, intelligence. Yeah. By the way, an oxymoron. There's no intelligence there at all. You're over a trillion dollars a year. What are you talking about? A hundred billion dollars. Right. Uh, what, what do you mean? You mean what? uh Half of what uh, uh, Bezos is worth?
0: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, it's nothing. Yeah. It's nothing, and it's spent out over years. All that does is enrich the the criminal group that they're a part of. They shove it off to their buddies. George Carlin, the great comedian, may he rest in peace. And I know his brother Patrick. Mm. He doesn't live far from me. George Carlin used to say, it's one big club and you ain't in
0: it. Hmm.
1: That's all this is going to do. It puts money in their buddies' pockets and they shove it back to them. Oh, this is for my uh, my campaign. Oh, Oh, I got a better one. This is for my new foundation that I'm starting. The money just flows back and forth. Look at Pfizer. Pfizer gave Biden a million bucks for his inauguration to help celebrate getting elected. How damn stupid can anybody be? And that was the maximum they could give them. So that's where that money's going. It's not going anywhere. It's going into their buddies' pockets. Again, a revolving door. And when I say revolving door, it's one door. Look at the little clown that used to be the head of the Food and Drug Administration in, U- in the United States under Trump, Scott Gottlieb. Yeah, how about Scott, piece of crap, is now on the board of directors of Pfizer. Who the hell are you talking to? You scumbag. Food and Drug Administration? And now you're with Pfizer on the board of directors? Oh, no, that doesn't make any difference. Why, what would make you think that I would do anything in the favor of the big chemical company, drug companies? And by the way, there are four groups running the world. Number one, I talked about it, the military intelligence industrial complex. Number two, the banksters. Remember the too big to fail? Of course. Yeah. $29 trillion, $29 trillion, according to the Levy Institute and College, that the banksters shoved into the banking system to build them up after they did all these dirty deals that brought them down in 2008. Number three, people call them big pharma. Grow the farmer up. I can't use the word here because I but it starts with an F. They're drug dealers. They're drug lords. Hey, look what just happened with that opiate thing. Uh oh, the Johnson and Johnson, how much do they have to pay? They're drug dealers. Number four. High tech. will tell you what to say. You will only say what we tell you to say. If you don't say what we tell you to say, then you're not going to be able to say it. We are in control. We're the monopoly that owns it all. High tech, drug lords, banksters, and murderers.
0: That's who's in charge of a country near you. Okay, I want to drill into that a little bit. Let's talk about high tech because what you just said resonates deeply with me, specifically as a content creator. I mean, I'm I'm conscious that I put out the wrong video and it disappears. So, you know, I've always had, I guess, libertarian philosophies when it comes to entrepreneurship. You take the risk to grow something, you decide what you do with that thing. But now we're at a point where big tech, high tech they operate like utilities. You know, they're communication platforms. They're fundamental necessities to running a business. You can't run a business today without without a presence on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, whatever. The same as you go back 30 years, you couldn't run a business without a telephone. You needed a phone number, right? So you and ATT had to have a good relationship. And you know, they were a utility company. Now we're we're at a place. Do you think that will do you think? big tech will eventually begin to be regulated like utility companies or do you, or what are your thoughts there and
1: because the be censorship
0: argument terrifies me
1: not not under the system that we have now because they're all paid off and bought off you mm. know they again i i again i agree i'm a i have a libertarian philosophy but i also believe in 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 rules and regulations and yeah you don't give everything to the rich. what was that thing off with their heads i mean what happened in france one time so, when the people didn't have anything and a few had everything. And that's what's happening now. The billionaires got $8 trillion richer during the COVID war, since it began. And so go back, go back, go back to the 1994, 93, when tech just started to happen. It was all about, the internet was free and open for everybody. Free and open. Newspapers were so damn stupid They put their information up there for free, and that's what killed them. That was the philosophy. The internet was free and open to anybody. It was the new way to be who you wanted to be and say what you wanted to say. Mm. And now it's under total control. And what I'm saying is that I don't see it being broken up to any significant level as long as the current administrations are in place in a country near you. Okay. the Western ones, we get it. Ain't going to happen. They'll, they'll throw out things saying, oh, look what we did, but it'll mean nothing because they're all part of it.
0: Yeah. I I have a hard time seeing a different angle and I, I don't like that uh, because this is very, very scary to me how censored our media has become and how untrustworthy our media has become. But it's, it's hard, to see, hard to see a way out at this point. I can tell you the way out. What's the way out? The way out is for the people with money
1: that care to put their money where their heart and soul is if they really care and start competitiveness against a Facebook, a Google, and a Twitter. Because there's never been a better on-trendpreneur opportunity than a new digital world right now. Better, Right. So, But it takes money to do it. And that's the way, to me, would be the best way for it to change. Competition. Always. Knock these guys out. <laughs> Look at that little sucker bird. Look at that little piece of freaky crap. Oh, no, maybe Dorsey's your kind of guy. I like Cook. Look at him. Look at him. You can't beat these people. Who's that guy? It starts with a P, the the guy from uh, Alphabet, Freezer I keep forgetting his name. So that's how it changes. But the people, you need the money to do it. You need the money to do it. You need the money to do it. And if the people united under an umbrella and everybody threw in a hundred, a thousand, three thousand, two hundred, five thousand, 7000 20000 60000 a million and you got yourself you know 100 million bucks you could start to get them out because people looking for a new way they're looking for freedom freedom and i say that i'm not making this line up when i say people have to come together united we stand divided we fall
0: okay look Gerald, I this has been a fascinating conversation. And um, I, I want to thank you because it, sometimes I have conversations on my channel where I just find myself being incredibly grateful that I get to do this for a living. Uh, it's like hard, hard to imagine that this is what I get to do. And this has been one of those conversations. So thanks so much for your time. It's been just great having you back on and uh, you allowed me to push the conversation wherever I wanted. And, and you went there with me. So I really do appreciate that. Thanks again.
1: Well, thank you. And again, my, my heart, you know, I'm a visionary and I've been at this a lot of years and I say to people, if you have, you know, show me your books, your magazines, tell me what you've been doing over the years as being a visionary and let's begin to talk because I see the, I see what the future looks like. And if we don't change it, it's, it's going to be more of hell on earth. Mm. And we have to change that. And if we don't, we lose. I agree. And one thing, very important, it does not take a majority to prevail, but rather an irate, tireless minority keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men, said Samuel Adams, and
0: the people that are tuned in are that irate, tireless minority. That's an amazing quote, an irate, tireless minority. Keen on setting brush
1: fires of freedom, freedom in the minds of men. And now you're hearing all these little pieces of scum crap politicians saying you get freedom. They're using the word. You get freedom if you get vaccinated. They're saying that. Mm-hmm. They use that word. Biden just came out with it a couple of days ago. Merkel, Crone, Johnson, everyone. They're saying freedom comes with a vaccination. Can you imagine the founding fathers of America saying that? No, I cannot. Yeah. So when I cry, it's because I feel it in my heart. And um, if we don't do something, it's not going to be your children or not gonna be the kind of place you want them to grow up in.
0: So thank you very much for having me. Mm, My pleasure, my pleasure, absolutely. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.